Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. Let's go to um, John chapter 18. I think there'll be some good stuff today. It's good for me. A lot of times the message is, uh, you know, uh, it's never good if you're just searching the Bible to give a message to somebody. It's better when you can, you allow the message to penetrate your own heart and, um, and, and, and feel the transformation that can happen there. Because then you impart what you are. You know what I'm saying? There's, it's different. And so this was a, this was a good one for me. Um, so just... You know, we're going through John. Uh, we had the, the, the I am statements. We had, um, you know, the miracles that John talks about Jesus uh, doing and stuff like that. We get to, you know, 17 where it's talking about unity with the Father, right? Unity with the Father and the Son. Unity with the Son and the disciples. Unity with the Father, Son, and the disciples. And then pretty soon the Holy Spirit's going to come. And then it's going to be unity with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and you. And so this whole big aspect of, of John 17 is about unity. And, and it's about Jesus praying for unity. So if you remember, if Jesus prayed for it to happen, then it should be happening. It's, it's not just a possibility. It's a desire of what the Spirit of the Lord, of what, of what Jesus himself is praying for and is saying should be happening in the churches or in the church. Because with God, there are not churches. There is the church. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. And so this whole idea of unity that we've been talking about is, is tough, is hard, is because, and, and the reason it is, is because we all have our own thoughts. We all have our own, uh, can make our own decisions. We're not robots. And so to be unified with one another doesn't mean, you know, that you, you take away yourself. It, what it does mean is that sometimes we lay down some things so that we can experience the greater part of unity in the body. And when everybody comes to uh, the church, or everybody comes to the building, which is uh, church, uh, ecclesia in the New Testament can also be translated as community. So when we come into the community of believers, um, it is always possible for us, always desired by our Heavenly Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, to be in unity with one another. And so to experience that godly unity is also the release of a dimension of power that you don't experience if you're not in unity together. Does that make sense? And so Acts chapter 2, they were what? They were in one place. They were in the upper room. They were praying the same thing. They were believing the same thing. The Bible says that they were of one accord, right? They were in one place. And they were believing and praying for the same thing. That didn't mean uh, that Peter wasn't still Peter or James wasn't still James. They still were who they were, right? Sometimes they could get cranky, this, that, and the other. They were still human beings, but they've experienced something with the Messiah. They've heard his prayers, and they're laying some things down, and they're pursuing in prayer until they experience what the Father told them or what Jesus told them was promised, so don't give up on the promise just because you're not seeing it. And some of the promises that are going to be released into your life are probably not going to happen without other people believing with you. 
because you're not a cowboy. I mean, I like John Wayne, but that John Wayne, you know, the, the actor and the cowboy doesn't necessarily fit with the idea of the kingdom. Or they're called evangelists, one or the other. I get those confused. But the lone cowboy, the lone ranger and stuff like that, you know, the, the lone wolf rides alone. Yeah, well, he doesn't do much except be lonely because he doesn't experience the community, right? He doesn't experience the power that comes through unity. And so the promises that are in your life that God has said to you that you may are thinking are gonna happen outside our community, I'm gonna tell you they're not. They were never designed to. You're not going to exist outside of what God has ordained to happen. You're not going to exist outside of the church and have a thriving ministry because God has not ordained that to happen. You have been called to be a blessing to the people that God has called you to be in community with and they're called to be a blessing to you and you experience the power, you experience the love. It is something that the world should not know anything about and they don't, but it should be experienced here within us, okay? And so that's, so it's not about churches and all that kind of stuff. It's just about the community of believers. And that community does not have to be in a building like this. It doesn't have to be in a cathedral. It can be in someone's house and be just as powerful. It can be two or it can be 200, but it can be just as powerful. Because it is the same Holy Spirit. Okay. All right, so moving here, uh, John 18. So Jesus has talked about all these things, the prayers and everything. And, and after this, he said, uh, he went out <coughs> with his disciples across the Kidron Valley. <coughs> Excuse me. And, um, uh, and he and his disciples went to it, and Judas betrayed him. He also, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. Uh, so Judas took a company of soldiers, some temple police from the chief priest and the Pharisees and came with lanterns and torches and weapons. Okay, here's where it good, good. Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them, Who is it you are looking for? Jesus the Nazarene, they answered, I am he. Jesus told them. Now, I did a little bit of looking up and according to... Uh, Moody, uh, which is Van Lanningham and, oh, the other guy. Anyway, he is not in the Greek. I am. Sound familiar? Who are you looking for? Jesus the Nazarene. I am. Remember the I am statements we were going through? All right, he said, I am. Okay, look what happens here. So uh, Judas, uh, who betrayed him, was also standing with him when he told them, I am he. He stepped back and they fell to the ground. This is the only time, this is really the only place you see this is this encounter of, of their coming to get them. Uh, who are you seeking? Jesus, the Nazarene. I am. And they, the power hits and, and they fall. Now, these guys are coming to arrest him, right? These guys are coming to take him away. Yet, when he speaks who he is, they hit the ground. So what you're seeing here is like, a foretaste of divine power that is in the name of Jesus, that is in the revelation of who he is. A foretaste of glory divine, right? I am, boom, they hit the ground. A foretaste of divine power. You, you have to understand the name and the image of the one whom you carry. So 
You have to understand the name and the image of the one whom you carry because everything is bowing before that. Not you, but the name of which is in you, which is Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus, is there not? If there's not power in the name of Jesus, people, why are we even here? This is silliness. It's just dumb. It's a fairy tale. If there's not power in his name. But I have seen and I have witnessed the power that comes through his name. And the majority of you who are in this room have witnessed the same thing. Whether you're dealing with something demonic that's diabolical, that's, you know, throwing a hissy fit and throwing up junk, whatever, stuff like that. But when it comes in contact with the name, with the name, with the name, with the name. It falls before him. And in the scriptures it asks, are you here to torture us before the appointed time? Don't pick on us, Jesus. Don't do this. Don't do that. They bow and they cower before the name and the presence. And you carry the name and you carry the presence. If you're in him and he in you. They bow. Sickness caused by uh, demonic goes away. Sickness caused by just from Adam and Eve and and sin bows before the name of Jesus it all does and so we carry we are aligned with that power because he is in us and we are in him now look at this Uh, Jesus could have done a lot more by just saying I am but he restrains that power uh, so that it can be said of him that he goes willingly to the cross right so you remember that he could have called 10,000 angels, right? All those, whatever. You know, yes, he actually could have. But if he would have, we wouldn't be here, <laughs> right? That would have been judgment right there. But he withheld judgment. He withheld everything else to go willingly to the cross. Remember, I, no one takes his life. He offers it up freely, right? So he goes to the cross freely of his own will to do the will of his father. He goes to the cross for one simple person, for one simple reason, To bring salvation to all of us 2,000 years later. Okay. Uh, They asked him again, who are you looking for? Jesus Nazarene. I told you, I am he. If you're looking for me, let these men go. Isn't that awesome? Because none of those guys are supposed to go to the cross with them. He goes it alone. See, because they're there, they're probably thinking, hey, let's, let's get all these guys together and just exterminate it, right? And Jesus is like, no, you're looking for me. Here I am. Let them go. Nobody else but Jesus is, is worthy and willing to, to, to be on a cross for the sins of the world. This means you, you, can't, you can't do anything to make yourself good. Because here we'll say it again sin is not wrongdoing it is it is wrong being and nobody can change their being except Jesus which is why to go into the kingdom of light you have to be born again when you are born again you are born in his image when you are born in his image you don't carry the sin that you once had because you left it on the cross now people get kind of cantankerous with that because oh that just seems easy so you can be a a jerk and blah 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 all your life and say a little prayer and oh it's all good no but you can be a jerk your entire life, commit your life to Jesus, become a disciple, and he takes care of your sin. 
It is that simple. The problem we, the reason we have problems with that is because we like to, we like to categorize, categorize sin, that some sin's worse than other, or because this person, we, uh, in our humanness, like to decide what's unforgivable. But in the kingdom of God, there's nothing that is unforgivable. There is one unforgivable sin, and that's just simply denying the work of the Holy Spirit, which brings conviction into your life of who Jesus is. It's as simple as that. It's not suicide. It's not any of that kind of junk. You take it in context of the unforgivable sin. They were saying that the things by which Jesus were doing were of the devil. So they were denying the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, which brings conviction of who Jesus is. It's as simple as that. It's context. That's it. And so if you're denying the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you can't be reconciled to God in any other way. That doesn't mean that you, you deny it right here. You can't accept it over here if you're still alive. Absolutely. But if you die in that state of denying what the Holy Spirit is trying to do, which is bring the revelation of Jesus Christ into your life, then there's no other way to be reconciled to God because there's no other name under heaven and earth. No other name except the name of Jesus. Nothing. Nothing nothing else and so this sounds very simple and a lot and it is very simple to a lot of you because you've you've heard this but it's not simple to the world and it's it's getting very complicated in the christian world today because there's a lot of settling there's a lot of moving away from there's a lot of whole lot of feeling and not a whole lot of of commitment right if it feels good do it that's not the way it's supposed to be in the church Okay, let's move on. Uh, all right. Go to verse 11. At this time, Peter said, or excuse me, then Peter, this is where it gets really good. Then Peter, I have a lot in common with Peter just because he was so fleshy. <laughs> Not because he's this great apostle, but I can see all the fleshy stuff that he does, you know, the jerky human stuff that he does. I'm like, I can identify with that, yeah. Okay, <clears throat> Simon Peter uh, Oh, okay, so he told them, uh, so you're looking for me, let these men go. This was to fill the words he said, I have not lost one of those you have given me, right? So Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his ear. And the Bible is so good to even name him. His name was Malchus. Good to know. At that time, at, at that, P Jesus said to Peter, sheathe your sword Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? This is what basically Jesus is saying. Uh, he's calling Peter to disarm himself of the weapons of his flesh. If you go to 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians, I, I want to show you some stuff. Um, this, is so, this is so good for me. Reminders and, and revelation. So 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, starting in verse 3, this is Paul who's talking, right? And, and Paul, is, Paul is, calls himself one of the, uh, you know, kind of like the, the outsiders. He's, a he's an apostle, but barely, right? I just squeaked in. I had this revelation. Here it is, and now he's calling me the apostle. Wasn't one of the original, yet here I am. Okay. And for not being an original, he sure got a whole lot of letters to write, doesn't he? Okay. This is what Paul says. For though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unspiritual way. In other words, he say, though we live in the flesh, we do not wage wars in the flesh. It's like, listen, when we're dealing with spiritual things, you know, I don't come to a spiritual battle with my six-shooter. 
I don't come with a gun. I don't come with a club because none of that stuff works when you're dealing with spiritual things. So he says, when you're, though I live in this flesh or this body, I'm not going to wage war in an unspiritual way or in a fleshly way. Because the weapons that I have that are for the warfare, they're powerful. They're not worldly, but they're powerful through God or in God for the demolition of strongholds. So if you don't understand the war you're fighting, you're not going to have the right weapons in which to fight it with. And so dear Aunt Patty, who's been cranky since the day she was born, and has, you never thought that she liked you, and she probably didn't, I don't know, maybe she's just mean. Maybe she's had things happen in her life. You're not going to win her over by being mean back. It doesn't work that way. It's like, but you don't understand that, Patty. Well, I understand the devil, and it's probably close enough, but you still, you still got to deal with it in a spiritual way because you're not going to come at Patty with a blah, blah, blah and think you're going to produce anything for the kingdom. For those of you who have an Aunt Penny, I apologize. Okay. So, we have to demolish strongholds. And, and, and what is a stronghold? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you. A stronghold of the enemy is something that builds an ever-increasing resistance to the word and holiness of God. So uh, the Bible would also say, hey, don't give a foothold to the devil, right? Because if he gets a foothold, he's going to build a stronghold. I've talked to you about this before. <coughs> we, in World War II, when we were launching the invasion into Normandy, and where were the Germans? They were up top in strongholds, were they not? And so, and so uh, Hitler wasn't really sure where the invasion was going to come. He, he d- didn't know if it was going to be Normandy. He thought maybe it was going to be south. Didn't know. But they still had, they were still sitting up on cliffs. And so when you see these soldiers come off this boat to do an invasion, they're up on the high top and they're, they're, they're shooting them as they get on the, bench, but, uh, on the beach. But eventually, eventually they overwhelmed them and they overwhelmed that position, right? Okay, but the high land or the high part is the stronghold and that is what the devil sets himself up in in your life and he wraps that around a wrong belief and he's usually trying to what he usually trying to do first is start in your emotions because if he can taint the way you feel you'll build a wrong theology around the true character of God if he can get you to laugh or he can get you to cry about something that is unholy, then you are going to have mercy for it out of the pit of your emotions. And once you begin to react out of your emotions, you're going to at then start the road of calling evil good and good evil. And that's the stronghold that the enemy is trying to build in your life. You know, the world was so good at it. it, it you know, t- television, 80s and 90s. It starts, off, it starts off slow. It starts off, but if it can get you to compromise and not care about certain aspects of God's holiness, about what he calls right. These aren't, the, holiness is not legalism. Legalism is, hey, if you ain't holy, we're going to crack the whip. You better follow these rules or you get out, right? That's legalism. Holiness of God is a relief. Holiness of God is like, finally. And holiness is not necessarily right doing. 
Holiness is right being. Because there are a lot of people in a wrong being that try to do good things. But it doesn't change who they are. And there are some, there are some people who have been filled with the Holy Spirit that do, still do some stupid things. But if you can't work your way into heaven, then the opposite is true. If your being has been changed by him. Now, sooner or later, you're going to manifest that out into everything else. It takes longer for some people than it does others. I, I think that really is about submission of, of how much you really want all of God. <clears throat> okay. So listen. Uh, so let me just say this again. If it contains the way you feel, then you'll build a wrong theology around the, the true character of who God is. What I'm saying is that... Um, people have a wrong understanding of who Jesus really is. They're concentrated so much on his love, they forget that he took care of wrath. It's not that wrath is not coming at the end. It's just that if you're in Christ, you're never going to experience it, not now or not then. <clears throat> but it is coming. And so as you're looking at, at the word, let's go back to uh, John. We'll kind of go back and forth. Um, <clears throat> and going back to John, uh, look what happens there. So um, we have first group. Peter, in, 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 in taking out this sword, Peter is, is fighting a flesh war. He brings a sword to a spiritual fight. Cuts off the guy's ear. What does Jesus do? He puts it back on and heals it. Right? So Peter's not getting something here. Let's look at this. <clears throat> the real reason is Matthew 13 or Matthew chapter 16 verse 13 and, and you don't have to follow me there but just just listen. I'll move this back so I don't lose my There we go. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, "Who do people say that the son of man is?" right? Okay? A little test. Some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, right? Simon. Uh, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so Jesus' response to that is he's very happy. Why? Because this is the first time that the disciples are not hearing something from Jesus. They're getting a revelation from the Father, which was the whole intention of, of Jesus' coming, was that you could be with the Father again. And so they're finally getting a revelation. Peter's got this revelation. It didn't come through Jesus, because Jesus is asking the question. Who do men say that I am? Well, you are the Messiah. Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood... Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Simon, you're listening. You got it. You can hear from the Father. That's the whole goal of this, is so that you can hear from the Father because he wants to be with you, right? So exciting. So awesome. And then if he would have just shut up, he'd have been fine. You know, it, it's when you start speaking too much that you get yourself into trouble. And that usually comes from you thinking, having a higher opinion about yourself than other people. And the more you talk, the more they, they lose the revelation of how great you are. <laughs> it's just that way sometimes. So he says, because you have this revelation of, of who Jesus is, 
then Jesus is going to now give you the revelation of what's going to happen to him. He began to point out to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Chief priests, scribes, and be killed and raised on the third day. And Peter took him aside. Now listen, did Peter just not, just not say that he was the Messiah? Right? He just said he was the Messiah, right? So the next thing he's going to do, he's going to open his mouth and he's going to rebuke the Messiah for saying this. Man, that's bold. It's boldness in the wrong place, but it's bold. You, you had a revelation from the Father that this is the Messiah. And now because you don't like what he's saying, you're going to rebuke him? He says, uh, oh no, this will never happen to you. And what is Jesus' response to him? I love this. Get behind me, Satan. Now these, that would be bad enough, would it not? For, for the Messiah to look at you and say, get behind me, Satan. I'm thinking that's pretty bad. That's, but then it goes further. For you are an offense to me. Think about that for a second. One, it tells you where offense truly comes from and that you really can't separate the arch rival from offense or anything else. See, the devil is only manifesting who he actually is. You, you, you don't get offended by yourself. You get offended because you're living, remember we talked about last week, in this fleshly part over here. And dwelling in there and that's where offense and everything comes because that's where the enemy lives but if you were born again that should be dead but sometimes we live off the memories of a dead man and we try and resurrect something that Jesus never wanted resurrected so your resurrection life is over here and your resurrection life does not have offense in it your resurrection life has humility in it your resurrection life it does have power it does have you have a lot of that kind of stuff but you got to walk in it it's like it's like he's talking to to, to the Israelites of the Old Testament. See, I have given you this land. Now go take it. See, he has given you this life. Now walk in it. Possess it. Become it. Let it get down into the core of who you are. It's no longer an eye for an eye. Now it's mercy and peace. See, it doesn't fit well with our flesh because we want to fight. We want to draw out our swords. We want to go eye for an eye, forgetting that we're just as guilty as anybody else if we live in that side. All right. You want to know why? Well, let's go over here. I got to finish, I got to finish this up. I'm going to bring this to a close, which means we've got 45 more minutes. You're good. <clears throat> That's how we roll. If you ain't sweating or crying, we didn't do our job right, right? All right, here we go. Um, so he gets a revelation from the Father um, about who the Messiah is. Um, so in, in chapter, in verse, excuse me, uh, 25 in verse 15 and then in verse uh, 25 you're going to see that that Judas is going to betray or excuse me uh, Peter is going to betray Christ three times right <clears throat> the question is why why he said before that even if everybody else leaves you I won't right 
he said he took out the sword to fight the physical battle in the garden, right? So why is it here that he's denying Christ when he's got all this stuff ready to go with him? I'll tell you why. It is easier to deny what you do not know or understand. He didn't know Jesus, people. He knew what the Messiah was supposed to be from an old or wrong interpretation of the Messiah growing up, that he was supposed to come in power, that he was supposed to uh, give, make us free from all our enemies, that he was supposed to just punt the Romans through the goalposts of life and get them out of Jerusalem. Right, the Messiah was supposed to come in power. The Messiah was supposed to crush all enemies. The inspire, the, he was supposed to be the Hulk Hogan of the Jewish world, brother, right? He was supposed to crush everything. The problem is, is they didn't really understand Isaiah, did they? About the suffering servant and understood that his first coming as a child was to make the kingdom right with you before he can make it right with anybody else. See, the kingdom is about here. It's not about out there. And they're so focused out there that although they know Jesus is the Messiah, they don't recognize him because he's not living up to their expectations of what he should do. And that's what people do today. He's not living up to my expectations. Or, or if that, it's like, you know, my expectations are just so low. It's just love. All you need is love. John Lennon, great guy. Love, 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 love. Without any expectation of what love does and transforms into the life of those they say they're his. Love is transformation. Love doesn't leave me alone. Love radically transforms me from what I was into what I'm becoming. It is because of love that he didn't smite me. It's because of love that he came and took it for me so that I could live the life he called me to and I could be in relationships so that I could understand. See, it didn't match his version of what, he, of what the Messiah was supposed to come to do. And we see this today in the world. Versions of Jesus because people don't understand and don't want to know the real Jesus. They want Jesus to do everything for them out there, but they don't want Jesus to do anything for them in here. In here. And I'm here to tell you that before anything else happens in my life, whether I'll be, whether I'm speaking, preaching, praying, whatever it is, whatever God has called me to do, nothing of power really happens unless I've experienced the transformation of love and the unity that should exist in me between the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and my new created self. See, that's unity too. And there's three people who are never out of alignment in that equation, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's one that always can be, and that's me. So if there's ever a problem going on in my life, it's not because the father's tired or the son went on vacation or the Holy Spirit's just woo up there somewhere. It's because Steve has stopped connecting in one way or the other or pursuing or allowing them access and not building a stronghold in his life to question what the Lord is desiring to do. He carried a wrong understanding of what Jesus came to do. You see people... Peter had a stronghold and he walked with Jesus for three years and it was and so it was very easy to deny what he didn't understand you're one of his disciples not me 
you were with him. Nope, <laughs> not anymore. In one version uh, of the gospel that raises count, he even curses. He curses. Blankety blank, I'm not with that guy. How can you say that? You were with him for three years because he's a wreck. He doesn't understand anything that's going on. He doesn't understand why this has happened. His whole Old Testament world has been shattered. All of his belief system that he's grown has shattered. And what he what he should be walking in faith in, he's walking in fear by. And we can't judge him because we do the same thing. Sometimes we walk in fear when we should be walking by faith. So he denies him. Last thing he does, he goes to Pilate, right? He talks about his kingdom. If my kingdom were of this world, I would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. As, uh, as it is, my kingdom does not have its origin here. You are a king, Pilate asked. You say I'm a king. Jesus replies, for this I was born. I have come into the world. There are two things. It, th this is really where we're going to land the plane. <clears throat> um, in the, the Greek word for church is ecclesia. It might help you to understand that the word church or ecclesia in the New Testament, in the Gospels, is only used twice. I think Matthew 16 and 18. 16 was what I just read to you, and on this rock I will build, you will build, I will build my church, right? The other one is it's Matthew 18 talking about sin and in the church and stuff like that. Everything else in the Gospels is kingdom. Everything else is kingdom. Everything else is kingdom, which tells you this. It is not the church that is the most important in the world today. It is the kingdom. The kingdom doesn't serve the church. The church serves the kingdom. And the problem is, is we've got that backward, which is why we have so many different churches. Are you hearing me? We have divided ourselves because we have thought that it's the church and our preferences that is the most important thing. And from God's point of view, it's his kingdom. And his kingdom doesn't come to a building. His kingdom comes to a heart. His kingdom comes to inside of us. And when we, when we prefer church more than kingdom, we'll stay here in our four walls and we'll not go out to dinner with other churches or we'll not hang around them all because they got this wrong with them or they got that wrong with them or they got this or blah, blah, blah. But when we become kingdom-minded people, truly then we begin to understand that it does, this church god forbid could burn down tomorrow it'd be hard because it's all blocked but god can do what he wants all right okay so the church this building could be gone tomorrow but the church isn't and the community of believers never is it just moves to whatever place is more convenient but when you wrap yourself out up into the importance of this then you miss this and you miss true unity of that of the of believers it's simple as that. The church serves the kingdom. The kingdom doesn't serve the church. It's the community of, a, of believers. And so that the word kingdom, basilia, if I've said it right, is all throughout the gospels. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is upon you. The kingdom of God is in you. Uh, when you see me raise a dead, you've seen the kingdom, right? All these different, he's just demonstrating kingdom all the way because that is the point. <laughs> that is the point. And the church comes along to help establish the kingdom through the community of believers. Amen? Why is this important for you? We'll close the book on that. This is important because if you, if you have a wrong understanding 
of who Jesus is and what he came to do and about his kingdom, you won't be as effective as you can be on what he's called you to do. So understanding here and understanding here are important and when he's called you to go and do what he's called you to do. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife at aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.